Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that. On Talk Sport. I'm Gareth Davis and welcome to the Fight Night podcast for TalkSport. Joining me this week in the studio was Spencer Oliver. We had a packed show with guest Fraser Clark. Reaction to Conor Ben's victory on Saturday night. A brilliant victory over Chris Algeria with a fourth round knockout. Derek Chisora joined me for the show. Ben Davison, Scott Coker talking about the year in MMA. And also we looked back at Ricky Hatton versus Floyd Mayweather in this week. 2007. What a week that was. But first of all, I spoke with Spencer live to Fraser Clark. Big Fraser, how are you? I'm good, Gareth. Thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. Are you at the fight tonight in Liverpool? No, mate. No, I'm currently put the two babies in bed. I'm sat on the sofa watching it now. Conor Ben's first round. He's doing well. Yeah, we've got it here on the monitor. We will update you in the next section on that. No commentary, please, Fraze. Um, but uh, the, <laughs> um, I bet when you put your babies to bed, you can. I know one of them is, is a little older than the baby, but I bet you have such big hands that you can literally, with that big shovel, pick up baby and put her into bed or him into bed with one hand. Oh, man, I can't. I can do, yeah, but wherever he, he wants to settle on, that's up to him. <laughs> do you find yourself uh, putting them in the baby seats in the back of the car and going for a drive sometimes to get them off? You know what? With my, with my, with my daughter, I had to do that a few times, but with my son, touch wood, you know what? He, he's been amazing. Sitting um, nearly seven months now, and yeah, he's been, he's been good as gold, but he's just started to uh, go through the teething bit, so it's getting a little bit, a little bit harder, but you know, we, we, we're all right with it. 
Well, you came back in early August. You're a super heavyweight uh, bronze medalist from uh, Tokyo. You know, I, I had great fun documenting your whole journey with you. And, and as you were saying there, it was the, 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 the desperation that you felt and the, the joy at actually going in the end this summer, a year later than you originally planned. And all the years you'd waited anyway as almost like, not the understudy, I don't want to call you that, but as a, a team member behind Anthony Joshua's going to the Olympics in London and obviously Joe Joyce in Rio when you you know you you have been as formidable as they are you are on the same level as those guys you've taken um a few months to make your decision but you made the announcement that you signed pro with boxer in sky sports and you're being managed by 258 management anthony joshua there to advise you his whole team that's a an amazing position to be in isn't it very very well i say fortunate it's not fortunate. This this is the whole reason I've stuck around for so long. This is the whole reason I've worked my socks off for years and years, and I've been in Sheffield, away, you know, in, in in a little flat away from my family, away from my kids. This was the whole reason to give myself the best chance moving forward. And you know, I've, I I do feel blessed in the sense that you know I'm there now, and you know I'm not saying there's still a lot to do. You know, I've, I've got I've got I've got a big ladder to climb again, but. You know, I think I'll give myself a good chance by by working with the best team. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. You know, who uh, who is your team? You know, who's your trainer? Who's who's in the team? Who are you working with at the moment? So I'm working with Angel Fernandez. Obviously, you know, he, I think people, everyone knows that he, he's been working with Anthony Joshua. Um, you know, and I've had, I've had a few different you know opinions about it. People say um, he's he's not experienced enough and 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 other things, but I can t- I've been in boxing a long time. I've been around. I've been around a lot of coaches, good coaches, um, and experience is, is is major. Don't get me wrong, but you know, someone I think he's one of the, the new the new breed of trainers. He's youthful. He's enthusiastic. He lives and breathes the sport of boxing. Um, and and you know what? I've I've never met someone that goes into detail so much. You know, we're playing the sessions. It, you know, he's he's on he's on time for the sessions. That's, that's a big thing. You know, he's, he's very punctual. Um, you know, we 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 don't do stuff. We don't rush stuff. We do stuff the right way. Um, and it's just it's just a breath of fresh air for me. You know, after being in the same environment for for ten, twelve years, it's it's nice to come someone new. And you know, it was quite funny. The actual first time he saw me, you know, I had, my ego got like destroyed because you know he basically told me that I was rubbish. So you know, I had to change stuff. And, it, and it's good to. Be, I'm 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 so happy to be learning again. It's, I think it feels good. It's it's very important actually. You know, when a tra- uh, trainer and a boxer, they have to they have to gel. They've got to have that chemistry between each other. You've got to believe in your trainer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've clearly got that now. Phrase you you've decided to turn pro at quite a late age, really. For uh, you know, you've been around the amateur game for a long time, thirty years of age. Now you've d- been there, seen it, done it as an amateur. Why was it that you took so long? The first part of the question is why was it you took so long to decide to turn professional? Um, at, at this stage, I think you know one of one of the other good, lucky things I've always been blessed with. I've always been blessed with good people around me. You know, like my boss for years has been has been Rob McCracken, and you know he, he knows the game inside out, as you all know. And um, he told me, I think he told me in two thousand nine, if you go to an Olympic Games, you you can change your life before you before you lace up a pro boxing glove, and then all of a sudden you know my pal Anthony Joshua comes in. And he does it. I see it change his life. And then I, and I see the same with Joe Joyce. So I was very determined to go there because 
you know, I, I've been on the squad for a long time and I've seen a lot of people turn professional and five years later it's finished and, you know, they, they, they're, you know they're, they're having to go and get a job um, or they're having to, you know, they're having to do something away from boxing. Mm. I just feel like with that Olympic pedigree, I've, you know, I've, I've set myself up already before I've been through, through a punch, you know, to be in, in, in a really good position. So I'd say it took me so long because I wanted to go I wanted to I wanted to turn pro and you know really make something of it. I didn't want to didn't want to rush, um, and also the fact that I'm thinking that I, it's in the, it's in the title professional. I wasn't professional, mm. you know. I'll be honest with you. For a lot of years, I wasn't professional. I was I was doing things the wrong way, living the wrong life. You know, the the, the I was living the life of a normal man and trying to be a boxer at the same time. It didn't work like that. Now, finally, I think I've matured and I, I am actually a professional person. It's- an athlete. I, I love those conversations with you, Fraze, during lockdown, where, I mean, I was documenting your journey for, for one of the national newspapers, The Telegraph, wasn't I? You were one of our seven or eight to watch at the games. And um, the maturity you showed in, in developing your own gym at home during lockdown and when you guys were sent home from the English Institute of Sport. I mean, I, I've had the great privilege and pleasure of watching you grow over the last decade, really. And, mm. you, know, um, I, you know, I can only wish you all the best in your pro career but one of the things that my criticism I've got a criticism of Angel already actually and um, and it's not it may not be founded I mean Spencer tried to set up a fight between me and Richard Riakpour recently where he said that Richard <laughs> Riakpour was hunting me at ringside after I'd made comments when he beat Duradola the other day the only thing I was critical of was Richard not hunting head and body um, and was just going head hunting and not throwing many combinations. And one of the things I've noticed tr- boxers training with Angel doing is not throwing a lot of combinations. And I'm just fascinated as, as whether whether you do work on that and whether that's a strategy not to throw combinations so you don't open yourselves up. I mean, I, I don't know whether I've just seen several fights that he's been training the boxers with recently that that he that you work on 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 slowly breaking opponents down i think i think, I think you know you, what you have to do is you have to look at the opponents because you know angel's definitely one of them trainers that analyzes the opponent are you under the pillow with the babies right now because we've just gone it's like you've been put the pillows over your head yeah, i didn't sorry, mean to i didn't mean to upset you sorry there we go <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think he put two pillows got... over his ears because it didn't sound good <laughs> no, you have you have to look at the fights the individual fights yeah. um, you know if you're looking at the um, Richard's last fight the opponent was 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 a really heavy puncher so yes. to stand there, to stand there and throw combinations would have been would have been dangerous dangerous and risky so you know I, I was in the gym for the whole camp and the tactics was never to mm. stand there throwing four and five punch combinations because the longer you're in range to throw them combinations, the more chance you are of you know uh, getting countered. So um, it's, it's definitely something we work on. And like I say, he's a he's a perfectionist, and you know. No, I know Angel. Part. I think he's amazing. He's an amazing. He's, he's an his energy is extraordinary. But I was just thinking back to the Joshua fight as well, and maybe it's a similar thing that Anthony Joshua didn't open up with many combinations against Alexander Usyk. Yes, but I thought when he did in rounds five and six, I think it was mm. he was successful. Well, there were single shots to the body, but but. Listen. Yeah, let me tell you something, Gareth, about 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 that fight there. Um, I think Big Josh will tell you this himself, and or if not, I'll say it. I don't think I don't think for one second anyone in that team was telling Joshua not to press Usyk. Yeah, that's that's that. That's me personally. That's me personally. Yeah. I mean, with the with the fighter and a boxer, 
it almost it's all right, you know. You can be told until you're blue in the face, but the, the fighter's got to go and do it, and do you know what I mean? So mm. I don't think it was a case of him not him not being told by Angel or or anyone else. You know that that, that current situation, you know, it's different. It's difficult when you have got Alexander Usyk, and you try and get a combination on Usyk. It's, mm. it's almost almost impossible because. Right. You know, well, you've boxed him. Oh, you've boxed him. Yeah. Listen, I spoke to Joshua. Joshua said himself that tactically he got it wrong and he has yeah. to change that up. He said that he got that wrong and he re- recognised that after the fight. So can he do know, it? He phrase? Did, he did can he do it second that. time? He's taking the fight. Do you believe he'll t- he's going to do it? I, I believe Andy Joshua. You know, he's he's not just a smart boxer; just a smart human being. And you know, after after twelve rounds with Usyk, um, he's already been in there. Can he do it? 100% he can do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough night's work against a slippery customer. But when, when you've got the you know the attributes that Joshua's got, he's mm. got he has the ability to beat any other heavyweight on the planet. Oh, I do hope so. When are you out? Do you know yet? Um, fingers crossed. We're looking at um, February the 19th on the Brook Calm build, you know, with the Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. You know, looking forward to it. going to be great following the career of Big Phrase as he joins the heavyweight ranks in a time of wealth and plenty with British heavyweights in the division. Well, next, Spencer and I reacted to the Conor Ben victory on Saturday night. I don't pay no mind. I am a fighter. You know, and this is what I do. You know, I go in there and I fight. Headlining in Liverpool is a blessing. Headlining shows is a blessing. I don't look at it as all oh, getting all the attention or the star or the media or to be honest, I'd rather get on the pill early so I can get out and have me Indian. No, you know, so that's that's the reality of it. But it is a blessing, don't get me wrong, that people wanna that I'm an attraction like that it is a blessing, but I'm a fighter and you know I love entertaining the public and, and you know giving that, that thrill, oh what's gonna happen next? I love that. You've beaten Vargas this year very comprehensively. Formella as well. Formella. Is that, this year? No. Gren- that was the year before. Granados. What sort of step up do you think Algeria is? Because that's how it's been described. I keep saying step up. Every fight is going to be a step up. And every fight is going to be a level up. But he's an all-round season pro. Again, former world champion. So I expect him to bring some sort of difficult he's been nothing I can't overcome does that frustrate you when people say this is going to be a test for Conor Ben each time how do you think you've come through those tests though the proof's in the pudding I'm 19 and 0 undefeated ranked top 5 in the WBC top 5 in the WBA top 10 in the IBF and you know ranked in the WBO so proof is really in the pudding and rubbish end of the day because talk is cheap it really is cheap so when we get in there we'll see that's where you find out what you're made of well, that was Conor Ben. Uh, that was uh, uh, James Savundra, of course, talking to uh, Conor Ben. Well, look, we have amazingly just got the results in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Conor Ben has stopped Chris Algier with an amazing set up the right hand with a brilliant left uh, left jab and uh, knocked Algeria out clean. Fifth round, Spencer made the statement. Absolutely, that was a statement. You know, Algeria was a dangerous guy. We see him last beating Tommy Coyle, so we still knew that he still had a little bit left. He was a good fighter, been the distance with the likes of Manny Pacquiao, you know, in his day, former world champion. He's been a good fighter. Yes, he's 30 seven years of age but you know I still thought he would prove to uh, I still thought he'd 
prove quite a problem for Conor Ben. Conor Ben again has made a statement. He's ready for the world title shot. In my eyes, the kid's ready to step up. Completely yeah, I, disagree no, with you. No, right, hang on, hang no, on, hold on, on a minute. No, 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 no. Let me finish. No, I don't. I, you can't no, you, finish no, when you say no, things like that. No, you, uh, he is not ready for a title, uh, world title it, shot. Listen, he's my ready God. for a world title shot. Well, the what kid did you is, take before you came he's on? He's ready for a world title shot. Conor Ben has proved again. I don't care how many times you say it. You're wrong. I know. I'm not wrong. How many? Times he he, he beat listen, up a 37-year-old washed-up New Yorker Gareth, who, who got schooled at world Gareth, level. Who was a light welterweight world champion. No. Don't I Gareth disagree. me. I disagree with you. <laughs> totally disagree with you. And how many times am I right and you're wrong? Not Quite very often. often. Well, one thing I'm right about is you are definitely Norman no. Wisdom's grandson. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think he's ready for the world title shot. I no, really do. Come on, one please. More, yeah, listen, I'll, he's ready. I'll tone it down a little bit. I will. Is, no. no way is he ready for a world title shot. I disagree. Shot. I think he's ready. I think he's ready. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i just... I'm dumbfounded. Well, I wouldn't be. Well, right. If he calls... He's ready for the right. winner of Khan and Brook. Yeah. In yeah, my that, view. that fight's next, by the way. That is next. Yeah. That is next. That makes sense. That's it, next. Yeah. 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 But that's not a world title fight, is it? No, it's not a world title fight. But I'm just saying he is ready. But that fight is next. But I'm saying in my eyes, he's ready. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I just I I cannot see. Listen, that he's the roadmap ready. I'll tell you where the roadmap goes with him, yeah? I'll tell you where the roadmap goes. Khan Brook, we know, are fighting they're fighting on February the twenty ninth. Yeah? Yeah. The winner of that probably goes out and boxes Connor Ben. Conor Ben wins that fight, in my eyes. Yeah, and I think he does. I think he beats either eyes. of those guys. In I my do eyes. And it's a and young then, stud, 25-year-old stud. So you're looking at a, a guys who are past their best. So that would take like you... Like he did tonight against Chris Algieri. So I think that would take you into probably October, November time. So not far off where we're at now, really. He'll does he be beat Virgil Ortiz Jr.? Great fight. Does he beat Virgil Ortiz Jr.? I know great it's a great fight. fight. Does he beat him? Not the sure. answer is no. He no, doesn't. No. Whoa, Thank whoa, you very whoa, much. Whoa, whoa. It's silence whoa. is golden. You, no. Whoa. You're getting me annoyed tonight. Does no. he beat Errol Spence Jr.? <laughs> no, he doesn't beat Errol no. Spence Jr. Does, does he beat no, your he Dennis Ugas? Do, no, no. Oh, yes, he does. I think no, he, he does he, not I, beat your Dennis I think he, may be, he maybe does. He doesn't oh, get, it's a good fight now. That's a good fight. Okay. That is a good Oh, right. So, so you're saying he's got a chance in that one? No, I said it's a good fight. Has he got a chance? Hang on a minute. Don't turn the tables on me. No, you tell me. Has he got a chance? Does he beat Terence Crawford? I don't think he beats Terence Crawford. And knocked Absolutely, out. yeah. But uh, listen, but what we're saying is, does, does he, he win a world title? I think he beats Sean Porter. I think that's the kind of person I'd like to see him fight next. Not Virgil. Oh, Ortiz. so you're starting to come around to my that's way of thinking. That's not a world title shot. No, but you're is starting it? to come around to the way I'm thinking, aren't you? Dear me, I think I need to go to a break in a minute because I really need to calm down. But I'm not going to because we've got more time. Look, Sean, Sean Porter Look, is a good It's opponent. a very strong division. It is an amazing division. So why, I'm why saying given the, the right opportunity. No, don't, I'm why not saying rush, rush him. Kid? I'm not saying rush him. I'm saying given the right opportunity, I think he's ready for a world title. His roadmap in the next 12 months will be a world title. That will happen. Danny Garcia. Good fight. <laughs> Keith Thurman. Good fight. David Avenesian. That's a very good fight. It's a, honestly. I mean, this the, is what, what I'm saying, Gareth. That's, just, that's the beauty no, you're about not, this you're division. No, that's not what you said. I don't want to sound like Andy Goldstein here with Jason Akundi when they used to go at it all the time on Sports Bar and they just go back and forth. But you said something just now. Oh, I said he's I ready for a world title. I rarely disagree with you. Uh, he's yeah. ready for a world title shot. I don't think he is, Spence. He I, is. I, I think I'd well, rather... When is he then? 
Tell me when well, he is. Well, when he's proved, when he's proven that he can deal with an Avanesian. Th- these, these, Why isn't he ready? Because he has not fought Go someone on. who's bringing it to him. What are you going on about? Who's Sam- fought, who's who fought? thought Samuel Vargas was going to bring it to him? You flattened him in a round. That was a great performance. Thank you. But we didn't find out much about him. Chris Algieri, we thought he was going to give him a lot of problems. He just beat him up, systematically took him apart and Did knocked Adrian him out Did Adrian Granados not give him five. a problems? Granados didn't give him no problems. He just, he just, he just ran just away and just yeah, defensive. Yeah. Didn't well, give him no problems. What, what I'm saying... Granados has been the distance of a lot of good fighters. What I'm saying is, I'd rather see him climb the ladder a little bit more. He's already box office. I agree. Like you say, fight the winner of Khan and Brook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if that happens and if they want to take it, dependent on what happens between those two. Um, you know, fighter David Avanesian, I think it's a great fight. He's going to have to go 10 or 12 hard rounds with Avanesian. I mean... I don't want him to take such great risks that he doesn't grow, but I would like to see him fight mm. the Thurmans, the Garcias. You know, they're, they're a little bit fade, the Jaron Ennises of this world. There's some great fights out there for him. The great thing about it is, I do believe he will be a world champion. Right, I, I, I do. I, and I'll tell you I what, do. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to settle it here with you. I'm going to settle it here with you, yeah? So I think he is ready for a world title fight, but I'm going to settle it here with you. I agree with you. Now you're going to like this. I agree with you that, yes, a David Avenesian type fight, Sean Porter type fight, is the perfect acid test before he boxes for that world there title. There we go. There we go. Right. Got, All right. We got oh, the right have we got that? Finally have got it got out that? of you. Well, onwards and upwards for Conor Ben. Of course, he's calling out the winner of Kelbrook and Amir Khan next year, even though his promoter, Eddie Hearn, suggests that Adrian Broner, potentially in America, could take place. Well, next up, I caught up with Big Del, Del Boy, War, Chisora. Well, no, most people can pull up box office. We've got box office here. AJ, Dylan, myself, Tyson Fury. Other heavyweights, they can be that. But how can they be that? You know, to be a box box office fight is hard. You earn it. You're right. You earn it. You, don't you, you? earn it. You don't want to just give it to you. you it's a following. Of, you need to have have that following. You then. have to put bums on seats first. You have to get people to love you. Because mm. remember, if you don't have people loving you, if people don't know in your fight, if you get in a taxi and you go to the taxi driver, did you watch his fight? No, I didn't watch. I end up working because I wanted to work. That's when you know you're not really doing well. Or if he says, I remember Mike Tyson and Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, you're not doing well. But if he says, yeah, I was doing the shift, but I had to come off the pullover and go online and go in my boxers and watch while I was, while I was doing the shift, or I went home quickly to watch it for about an hour and I came back out, that's when you're doing well. You fought Alexander Usyk. You bullied him yes. for five rounds. He's an incredibly clever boxer. No, why not? Bloody fight, man. You beat Usyk, yeah? I did. Yeah? Yeah, I did. Did you know in there when you were with him that you had the beating of him? I trained hard for that fight. Even his coach and his manager came and said, you won that fight. Were you surprised, Derek, what happened when Alexander Usyk fought Anthony Joshua? When I went to see AJ Bob fighting, I was like, That's, he was using his jab, everything was flowing. But when I was at the ringside, I was sitting so far off, I could not see what was happening. You know, if I knew he was behind the points, I'd have been in that ring and telling him, you better go now. But 
You leave it alone. Does Fury beat Usyk? Yeah. Is it going to happen? We don't know. Does AJ beat Usyk a second time? Oh, yeah. Big time. What will he do this time? He's going to do what he normally does. He's going to go in and beat this guy up. When you do finally hang up the gloves, how would you like to be remembered as a boxer, as a prize fighter, as a moneyweight fighter? However they want to. However, however at that point, as, as, a, as a conversation is at that point. Because you might say you want to be remembered like this, but conversations are different. People are going to be like, oh man, I used to watch that fight, you know, Joe Frazier and so-and-so. Great fight, that was amazing. But somebody was like, ah, no, that was not great. But I used to like this guy because he was fighting this way, this way. But it's about how the conversation is going at the time being. Are you going to stay in boxing when you've retired? Tell me somebody who's retired from boxing and left boxing and never came back. You can point me one of those so I can follow his rules. Because I know for a fact you retire from... Everybody's retired. Ricky Hart retired from boxing. What did he do a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks later? Open up a gym. Everybody retires from boxing, but they come back through the back door. I want to hold the pads for you. They come back through the door. I'm going to manage. They come back through the door. You can't retire from this. This, this game is a, it's, it's a... It's like the biggest drug in the whole world. You can't retire from boxing. Yes, you can retire from football and you can go sit on your beach in, in the Bahamas and stuff like that. But boxing, never. Point means somebody, even Floyd Mayweather, the richest man in the game. And guess what he's doing? He's still around boxing. You can't. It's a hard game to leave behind. The only time we leave boxing is when we're six feet under. That's it. Or maybe you might be in there shadow boxing with your ghost by yourself. But we're really to leave it. I haven't met anybody who's left boxing, who's retired, who's retired, say, hang up the gloves, I'm done, I'm out. Guess what? They come through that back door. What's the back door? Might be a comment there for, for this channel. I might do this for this channel. Oh, I'm managing this fighter. Actually, you know what? There is one person. Actually, but he was not in love with boxing, though. He didn't have the boxing gene. Audley Harrison, he's retired from boxing, but he's in, he's in America, he's not doing boxing. Might call him up and ask him. But I remember, if I retire, I will post a photo of my boxing gloves, everything I've won in boxing, bonfire night. What an extraordinary time I had with Derek this week. You can hear that... The, 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 the timbre in his voice, the, the deep thoughts about, you know, you quit boxing when you're a warrior. You know this, Spencer. I mean, even though you've had um, brain surgery, you know, it's a long time ago, only 25 years ago mm -hmm. that you had brain surgery. You tell me every time I see you and I start sparring with you, say, watch him, mate, I'm going to beat you up in a minute because I'd still love to get back in the <laughs> ring. That never leaves you. I always call no. us civilians and you guys are the warriors. And um, it, it was fascinating to speak to Derek. That interview, by the way, is on the DAZN platform this week in its entirety. It's from a series that I do for them called Off the Cuff. We go narrow and deep and we go deep into um, people's lives uh, in, in fight sports. Conor Ben's on there, in fact, and Shannon Courtney and um, Anthony Joshua. And I must get you on there, actually, mm -hmm. and, and get you on there. I'd love to do an interview about your life. It's fascinating. Derek's really grown up, hasn't he? 100%. You know, I've known Derek now. 
I've known Derek when he first started boxing. He first walked into the gym when he was about 16, 17 years of age. Um, yeah, and we've seen him develop right through. My uncle John trained him from the beginning right up until he turned professional. So even when he was professional, actually, for his first couple of pro fights before he went over to Don Charles. Why don't, don't Derek, people leave boxing? It's a diff- he's right. It's a difficult. It's a difficult. It's a difficult sport to leave. It is a drug. You know, it's difficult to give up. And so, you know, whenever boxers retire from boxing, they stay involved at some it, with some capacity. Some level, yeah, whether they're yeah. a manager, whether they're a trainer, whether they're just a gym rat that just goes to the gyms and hang around the gyms. You know, it happened. Like it's just a very difficult. Like you got to think about this. I'll tell you what's difficult to give up about boxing. Just quickly, right? I'll just tell you. So, right, you wake up in the morning, you go running, you go then. Then you sleep, then you go to the gym in the afternoon, then you sleep, and then you then you train in the evening, then you sleep, and that's your life. So it's, it's everything. So once boxing's gone, you've got this big the hole. Structure's big, gone. The structure's yeah. gone. Yeah, and all so those you endorphins have, so you, you get from it the absolutely. whole time. So We're going to talk stay more involved. about it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fascinating interview with Derek there. That is, of course, as I say, on the DAZN platform as a video interview in the series Off the Cuff. Well, Ben Davison joined us next, and he had some fascinating views on Devin Haney, but also on Anthony Joshua. One thing I love about Devin is he's a perfectionist, and I'm a perfectionist as well, so you always nitpicking, um, even when Josh become undisputed and a big win like that. You're always nitpicking and wanting to, wanting to, uh, you know, perfect everything. But um, that's part of the job, and that's 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 what we get paid to do. And that's why Devin, I believe, the ceiling on his potential is so high. It's very nice to see the two men, uh, Devon and um, George Cambosos Jr., I mean, at the end of the DAZN broadcast on either end of the stage. I, I thought George could have given Devon a little bit more leeway, to be honest. He mm. stole his moments a little bit. But it was brilliant to see these two young men agree on um, that they really want to fight for, for a unified lightweight title. And it'd be amazing if we can all come over with you to Australia in the summer, COVID notwithstanding, of course, and have an amazing, like a Wembley Stadium event 
event in Melbourne or Brisbane or Sydney or whatever it is. I mean, it's a brilliant opportunity for both men, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And I fully understand that they've got to do what they've got to do to, to you know, try and negotiate the highest highest amount of money they can get. But how many times does a fighter get in their in their, you know, career an opportunity to to fight for the undisputed? And uh, I just think it'd be a huge shame if we miss out on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, we saw Josh Taylor with Jack Catterall uh, this week. Um, Catterall kept his, uh, well, I said kept his mouth shut almost, didn't he? But he kept his cards very close to his chest. Um, Josh has done all sorts of things uh, on his press tour. Obviously, the fight isn't till uh, is it February? Am I wrong? Is it no? It's late January, isn't it? Um, the, and, and you know, Josh started laying into people like Tiafimo Lopez, who you know he'll come up to one forty now. He's right to do so. I I really like that fight, Ben, if uh, if Josh can come through Jack Catterall. Well, the thing is, you know, Tiafimo's got a lot to prove after that. Mm. He had the one win against Lomachenko, potential injury um, from Lomachenko. And when Lomachenko did start letting his hands go, let's have it right, he's a featherweight. Tiafimo looked to, to, to be in a lot of trouble. So, mm. I mean, let's just picture what would happen if Josh was letting his hands go. However... You know, we've got to focus on Jack Catterall, everything that Josh has ever worked for, and the absolute pinnacle of the sport is on the line. So Jack Catterall's got to have our full focus. And it's very easy, isn't it? It's very easy, Ben, like to slip up against someone like Jack Catterall. Yes, he's an undefeated fighter, but he's not really been recognised at world level. I mean, how focused is Josh Taylor? Is he, is he totally focused on this fight? He is, and he, he, he keeps talking about, you know, can't underestimate him and he's 100% right and, and, and you know we're both singing from the same hymn sheet there the reality of it is Josh gets in that ring at 100% there's a huge golfing class um, but he has to be getting in that ring at 100% and sometimes that can be difficult to do so when you know you're such a favourite and, and sometimes that motivation isn't there but one thing I keep installing into Josh is you know, how hard of a route he's had to take to become undisputed. And you're going to let someone swoop in in one fight and try and take all that. It's like a daylight robbery, no chance. Can I just jump on something else here, Ben? I know you've been avidly watching the latest uh, instalment of the Tiger King. It's one something we always talk about when we uh, <laughs> when we when we meet in Loughton, um or Harlow, um, rather. Um, and... Uh, I want to ask about, you know, that's a massive fight we're talking about with Josh Taylor and, and Catterall. Obviously, it's all the uh, super lightweight belts, I will say, rather than light welterweight. Um, but we've also potentially got another massive fight early in the year. I spoke to Bob Arum um, earlier on today, not for recording, but he was obviously at the Garden with um, Vasil Lomachenko and Richard Comey headlining tonight. What a great fight that is as well. Um, and he's saying that Tyson Fury... Still your friend, the man you took to that first battle of Los Angeles. It's unbelievable to think it's three years ago now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to ask you about that in a minute. That's a massive fight as well, Tyson Fury and Dillian White. Um, what's what's your take on, on that fight? Is it... Um, Bob Arum's telling me it will definitely be in the UK. There's no America around this. What's your take on that fight? Is that a tough challenge for Tyson Fury, given the style of Dillian White? I think it depends on how Tyson goes about the fight. I think he's fell in love with the, the you know the aggressive uh, look for the knockout type approach, and I think that it could end up a really entertaining scrap if he doesn't pick his moments wisely. Mm. Um, Dillian White, you know, he's extremely sharp with that catch counter, and that's always a danger to any opponent that he faces. 
Um, however, the thing is, I always talk about it when, when I'm talking about Tyson and matching him up with opponents, is his versatility. So, um, you know, we just don't know how Tyson will approach that fight. And I think that depending on how he'll approach the fight would depend on how entertaining of a scrap that, that fight is. I think Tyson Fury, like, you know... Looking on the outside, I don't know what you think, Ben, but I think Tyson Fury going in against someone like Dillian White would be better standing on the outside, using his reach, using his boxing skills, his boxing IQ, and slowly, systematically trying to break Dillian White down. But if he does go into that fight and he decides to go there and stand trade trade um, toe-to-toe like he did with Deontay Wilder, really, that's... <laughs> That would probably be the wrong tactic, surely, against someone like Dillian White, who's got that sort of like jerky sort of style. He's quite unorthodox, massive left hook. That could be dangerous tactics, couldn't it, for, for Tyson to do that? Yes, it would be entertaining, but also very dangerous. Yeah, 100%. Of course it is. Um, you know, the thing is that that, that the thing that Tyson was, is so known for is, is those feints, and it throws the opponent's time enough. When people talk about him being, oh, speed for, for a guy of that size. Me, personally, it's not speed. It's his timing and constantly throwing the opponent's timing off with those herky-jerky feints. However, the more aggressive approach and, and you know, not seeing as much of, the, of that sort of style as, as, as of recent times, of course, it, it gives the opponents more, more chance of, of landing something or punching with Tyson, which Dillian White will be looking to do, no doubt. Ben, another question for you adapting his style the way he's done it. Now, we see Mayweather do it late on in his career when he started sort of like slipping and rolling a lot more and, and, and moving his feet. Adapting his style the way he has as late on in his career, is that because he struggles with the mobility, struggles to move around, you know, like he did in the early days that he's he's had to adapt and, and change it? Is that anything to do with age and getting, you know, later on in his career? No, I don't think so because of a heavyweight, he's still young. And people, mm. people, people seem to forget that. I just think that, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So it's mm. a case of, is he, is he practicing those things in the gym? I'm not too sure. I don't know. I'm not in the gym with him. But um, I'm sure that if he was to work on those things and um, if he wanted to approach the fight that way, then he'd have them in the locker for sure. Sure. All right. The difficult question of the night, the one that really needs answering, it's something to do with the Tiger King. It is, Ben, AJ Anthony Joshua is looking for a new coach, a new training team. Were you approached? And if you were approached, did you consider it? No, I haven't been approached. Um, I haven't been approached. Me personally, of the guys that's been put out to the news that he has, spoke to or we've seen that he spoke to. I think the the, the smart fit is, is Eddie Reynoso. I know there's a, a language barrier there, but I believe that, the, you know, things that it seems that they focus on, um, I think will be key things for him to, that he'll need to execute a successful game plan against Usyk. But, 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 but could you, given your, your relationship with Tyson, have gone with AJ. Are there things that you, you... Well, you've kind of pointed to it there with, with the Reynosos. Do, do you believe there are things that you could have helped him or could help him with? Yeah, of course. Look, the reality of it is, like, if you study a sport and you study that fight, do I 100% believe that I know exactly what he needs to do to beat Alexander Usyk? Yes, of course. Does it mean it's an easy job? No. The relationship with Tyson is complete... In my mind, it's a completely different situation. Would I 
I would like to see him beat Alexander Usyk. 100%. I think that, you know, you have to take your help to him because he's an overachiever and that's not a, that's not a dig that, that you know, it's not a negative thing. That That's, that's a compliment because Absolutely. the commitment that he's shown yeah. to the sport, yeah. to the adjustments that he's made throughout his career to his style, especially from the Rui fight to, to post that. And he's at a point in his career where he's going to have to make another adjustment. Mm. I just think he's slightly lost and unsure of what that adjustment might be because the problem is the typical, the, the general public associate a boxer. That's a boxer. Or associate someone, an aggressive fighter. Oh, he's a fighter. You can't, they can't separate the nuances between the two. I really like his thoughts there on Anthony Joshua. Fascinating stuff, as always, from Ben Davison. Well, next, we switched our focus to the world of mixed martial arts, and I caught up with Bellator president Scott Coker to assess the year in MMA for Bellator. We were able to open up and start doing fights, starting with the LA show. Uh, so honestly, at the beginning of the year, I knew we were going to get the fights done. It's just what we're going to do in front of a live audience. And then we were able to do it halfway through the year. July, we did the fight uh, with uh, AJ versus Pitbull. And honestly, I think that's when we started getting back on the road, getting back uh, into the mix and basically feeling like a real fight company again, because when you do fights inside of a closed audience, you know, as you know, you, you, you've seen, a, it's like, it's kind of a little bit empty, right? Not, not, not to the fans, the fans aren't there. The, the fighters don't feel the fans. The fans don't feel the fighters. It's, it's a little, it's just, it's a lot different, but you know, starting with the AJ fight and then we went on a roll, man. We went from that fight. And I think we went to San Jose, Phoenix, London, Dublin, Moscow. And we closed out with the Horiguchi fight against Pettis, which was a, you know, spectacular ending to a, an amazing fight. The, the fighters need the fans there. They put the soul into the, into the event. But you definitely managed to still, the way you often do things is you are always putting a flag in a new mood. But this year, you've raised the level of your light heavyweight division. You've had an incredible tournament through the year. You found a new star in Vadim Nemkov. You found a new star in Sergio Pettis. You found a new star in AJ McKee. You must be pleased with the generation, the gen- being able to generate new stars out of this year as well, stars that are going to resonate. Yeah, and I don't say this lightly, but when I think about our roster, this is the best roster we've had since I've been here, and it takes time to build a roster. And so in the very beginning, we had to fight, you know, who we had to fight, and we, we dealt with it. And there's some great fighters on that on the original roster, don't, don't get me wrong, but we didn't have the depth that we have today. And when I look at our bantamweight division, our featherweight division, I mean, the bantamweight division to me is the best division in MMA period, better than any other league. Our 205 division is the best division in the planet better than any anybody else's league we have the best 145 pound fighter in the world better than any other company so if you look at this roster it is it is so deep and that's why we went with the bantamweight tournament you know when i'm thinking about all those guys and you saw the quality of fighters that uh that we're bringing to the table uh last week with uh horiguchi fighting pettis mm-hmm. and uh these these guys all are killers all of them and so when i when i looked at how we could have actually thrown a 16-man tournament but I felt like, you know, we, instead of, you know, uh, let's say, windling them down to an eight-man tournament, let's just start with our eight killers that we have 
and then let, let's just go. And that's that's what we did. And we announced it. And people are really excited about, about this about this tournament. And, and Pettis to end the year, young Sergio Pettis. I mean, what an extraordinary finish to the year against against. I hasten to add one of the greatest Japanese mixed martial artists of all time. And he was showing that through the fight, his in and out movement, his speed, his, his versatility. It was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable performance by Horiguchi, let alone, wasn't it? You know? I mean, Horiguchi is super talented. And that's yeah. like, you know, he was the favorite going into the fight. Yeah. You know, he was the favorite. And he, uh, he showed me, he showed to me why. And I was like, well, you know, like, you know, Saki Ibarra, uh, he's still the rising champion, you know, and, you know, with, with, with Pettis, you know, I was thinking we got a good shot. Maybe we'll see. I just, you know, to me it was 50-50, honestly. Mm -hmm. And when when Horkuchi came out and Pettis hit him with a right hand, but he did a cartwheel. Yeah, he did a cartwheel. It was amazing. It was yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I thought, oh my God, this is like great theater. But Horkuchi yeah. in and out has good power, has good, but you know what? He he really took it to Pettis for four and a half rounds. Yeah. And then Pettis does a spinning, does a not spinning. He does a crescent kick, turns around, hits with a spinning back fist. You know, it's it's over. Cancel Christmas. You know, it's done. So, you know, it, it's it's it just shows you how much talent there is in that in that division. And you know what? Not not to discredit any other athletes that were fighting on that card, but I'm telling you right now, you could see the level of excellence about four steps up from the rest of the fight card. You know. And you go, now that's what a world title fight should look like. And man, it, it was spectacular. I mentioned at the beginning 18 events this year, and it's been a pleasure and privilege for me to be part of them as well. Um, you know, just to declare my interest in it on, on here on the show. Um, you know, it's brilliant to be involved in something that's growing and so organic all the time. But also one of the reasons why I'm involved is, you know, on this side of the pond, you, you made an extraordinary deal this year with the BBC. 18 events they've had this year since the beginning of April. How important is that for the growth? I mean, that's that's a victory in itself, as you know, because uh, MMA there has been on a cable platform before. And, you know, it's um, I think there's a home for it. And when when you talk about, about the WBC, it is, you know, the platform in the UK and it's the it's the blue chip, you know, of 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 television distribution deals, online distribution deals now with the BBC iPlayer. And, uh, you know, so I, I feel like we have an audience that's young, that's, you know, that's, that's, that wants to watch MMA. And, and, you know, when I think not the fights that we do here in America, which I think, you know, I'm sure some people watch it over there at three in the morning, but it's the fights that we did there in London and in Moscow and in Ireland. And those fights that are in, prime time in the in the country so you can watch it at eight o'clock at night and not have to you know wait till three in the morning and those are the fights i'm really excited about because the mvp fight versus lima you know that was prime time uh in in the uk oh and, by the and, way and I that made you shift it to five rounds for main events which i'm really happy about and we're all happy about yes yeah definitely i, I mean i, I would love to see two more rounds of that but <laughs> you know the relationship with the BBC is great. David Green has been managing that their relationship and actually cut the deal. And he's been doing great work uh, for us worldwide. And, and uh, you know, he brought us this opportunity. And I tell you, it's been fantastic. You know, they've been great partners. And we've, we've done our best to try to deliver on our side. And I look forward to, you know, uh, you know, having another great year with them next year and growing the product and growing the brand and doing more fights, you know, outside the U.S., 
and uh, and really just keep you know pounding this brand throughout the world, uh, including on the on the BBC. Well, we can't wait for next year, Scott. Obviously, there is the final of the um, like heavyweight tournament. Uh, Vadim Nemkov, the champion against Corey Anderson. Um, Gegard Mousasi, well, I think is down to defend against Austin Vanderford or Austin Van Der Zandt, as you call him, because he's Paige Van Zandt's husband. Um, this, you know, um, AJ McKee coming up again soon. There's so many great fights. Um, you mentioned Fader again in the middle of the year in Moscow, potentially. What a great year, Scott. Um, we look forward to 2022 with great relish. Yeah, we have some great fights ahead. And don't forget about the Bantamweight tournament. That's going to launch too in the probably the end of the first quarter. Uh, that's going to launch as well. So all those great fights you talked about, plus you know uh, the Bantamweight tournament launching is going to be it's going to be a lot of fireworks in uh, in 22 for us. We do indeed look forward to a fantastic year with Bellator in 2022 and with all the other MMA organizations as well as the sport grows exponentially. Well, finally, up this week, Spencer and I looked back at the Ricky Hatton challenge against Floyd Mayweather in 2007. The two men were undefeated and it was a massive event with record numbers of fans traveling. Here's what we thought about it. Floyd's the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world and the most exciting fighter pound-for-pound pound in the world. See, that's again, that foot speed. He's got Floyd losing his balance. He's making Floyd move a lot faster than he wants to. Maybe the most important thing, at least Ricky, Ricky, in the first be half of the round, is that Hatton's eye has not opened up again yet. Great right hand seems momentarily to stun Hatton. But he, he's just eating up those right hands. And, and Floyd, as I said at the end of the last round, is becoming more physical and more aggressive himself now. This fight is over. Floyd Mayweather has a knockout victory over Ricky Hatton. I must thank the media, uh, all the fans, all the UK fans, all the press. It's truly, truly been, a, been a, an amazing experience. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Gareth A. Davis, and Spencer Oliver with me, of course, throughout the show. Well, in our final section tonight, we're going to look back. This week in 2007, it was a grand event. Two undefeated fighters at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was the one and only. There's only one Ricky Hatton. And we were walking in a Hatton wonderland with 25,000 fans in Las Vegas. We've never forgotten it. It was a privilege and a pleasure to be there. In fact, I can remember writing a four-page supplement broadsheet on this fight. That's how big it was. And I can remember everyone being there from the world as Ricky Hatton, undefeated, took on Floyd Mayweather undefeated. There were about 80 fights between them, undefeated Spencer. And it was one of those moments where Ricky Hatton had beaten Costa Zoo 
He'd gone on a run in America, an mm. outstanding run. It had propelled him into the top of the pound for pound rankings um, and led to him facing Floyd Mayweather in an extraordinary week and in an extraordinary fight. Absolutely. Listen, Ricky Hatton deserved to be in the pound for pound list at that time. You know, he was one of the most exciting fighters on the planet from winning the title against Costa Zhu 2005. I remember being live at that fight as, as well. And against all the odds, he beat one of the pound for pound stars at that time in Costa Zhu. And it was a, an incredible performance, and he went on to win world titles. He moved up to welterweight and beat was it Castillo? Was it Castillo? Yeah, it was it. Jose Cast- Luis Castillo hit Castillo. him with the perfect liver Absolutely. punch. Absolutely, it was the perfect punch. Castillo took a knee and he couldn't get up again. Yeah. It was an amazing. It was at the Thomas and Mack Centre. Wayne Rooney and Oasis carried his belts in. I think I remember mm. that night, and we chatted to Wayne Rooney. He was delighted to be there. The world and his dog was there for Ricky mm. Hatton at the well, time. Well, they was at all the fights. They was at all the fights. <laughs> Because Hatton had something magical about him. It was his style. He fought with his heart on his sleeve. He'd come forward. He was aggressive. He had everything that was... He was, you know, he was so pleasant on the eye. He was, like, so TV-friendly. He was, you know, he was great outside the ring as well. A real character. Fan-friendly. Everyone loved him. He spent time with him. He had a drink with him. Five, you know, nine fine Irishmen was full of Ricky Hatton fans yeah. after in, in New York, New York. Mm. Huge venue. The whole of New York. Wherever Ricky Hatton went, yeah. to the English pub down the strip, he would sit and drink, or stand and drink. Him and Matthew and his team, Billy Graham, would stand and be with all the fans. He was the everyman. He, we knew he, he, he went to the pub. His parents obviously mm. were publicans, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that he would play darts and, and, and just be... He was the everyman, wasn't he? He had no side to him. No. It didn't matter that he was earning whatever it was, 15 million for that fight, which was huge money at the time. Mm. It was still little old Ricky Hatton, little old Ricky Hatton, <laughs> the Man City fan yeah. from Manchester. Yeah. And, he, you know, he gets his big opportunity against a pound-for-pound number-one fighter in Floyd Mayweather. Two undefeated fighters. I remember the build-up to that fight, Gareth. I remember the excitement surrounding it. And all of a sudden, when, when the fight was first announced, you think, ah, that's Mayweather, big time. We're going for Mayweather. As we was approaching the fight, and then, you know, Hatton took that legion of fans over there. You remember the weigh-in? The weigh-in, they were going crazy. Unbelievable. We, we're in Vegas, Floyd Mayweather's hometown, and it's all Ricky Hatton fans. And they are going absolutely bananas. Hatton looked pumped up. The brass man. That's it. And there was that. All of that. You know? I had that split second moment where I was watching it. They got off the scales. I looked at Hatton. He was ripped. He, he was, was pumped. And I thought, you know what? I think he's got a chance. Do you know what? I, I did, think he's going to do this, it. No, I went even further than that. Yeah. And I have had a dressing down ever since from my mentor, Colin Hart, the greater Colin Hart, 60 years in the sport, writing about mm. it. He said, don't be persuaded by the whole swell. You got sucked in, you yeah. Get, yeah. I got sucked yeah. in by all week. And as I say, Ricky gave the, the kind of executioner's sign. That's right. He's really in, in, in Mayweather's face on the night, on, on the, at the way, and the fans were there. And I picked him to do mm. it. And it was foolhardy. I knew he couldn't outbox Mayweather. I'll tell you what, though. Hatton that night was up against two men. He Very was good. Up right. This is, Mayweather, a, this is a great call. And he was up against Joe Cortez, it's the, weird, the, 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 yeah. the referee. The referee, every time Hatton got close, and that's where Hatton liked to be, we all knew Mayweather, that May- Mayweather style on the side, picking his shots, tying his opponent up. Hatton needed to be inside, like he was against Costa Zhu, throwing the shots, switching the angles, body shot, head shot, you know, and up and down. 
that's where he needed to be. Every time he got close, Cortez broke it up. It was like every single time. Hatton was fighting two people that night. Unfortunately, it didn't go his way, but he was going to give it a go. Round one goes. He comes out firing, throwing those body shots. As soon as he got close, break. As soon as he gets close, break. And you know yeah. what? And what happens in that, of course, Mayweather, so present as he is in, during a fight, he realised that Cortez was doing this. Mm. And he started to use his elbows quite a lot yeah. on Hatton. And it's one of the dirtiest fights, apart from, um, what was the fight where where um, Floyd Mayweather knocked um, his opponent out for headbutting him? Um, oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> his name now, but I'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but... The, but it, in the event, Joe Cortez allowed Mayweather to be dirtier. I remember Mayweather landing a lot of elbows and, yeah. and roughing Hatton up. Be, but be, Hatton, he was like a, an energizer bunny when he yeah. fought, wasn't he? Um, it was it was Victor Ortiz, of course. Victor so he, Ortiz, he, yeah. he put his hands down, went to embrace, and he got knocked mm. out. Because yeah. um, people forget, Mayweather is nails when he's in the ring. He looks all pretty boy and everything. People think he's a defensive boxer, doesn't like being hit. He's hard as nails, isn't he? Mm, and he was that night against Ricky. Absolutely, yeah. He, you know, he had to be because Ricky was on fire. He was he, he was going for it. Ricky just rolled the dice from round one. And when Hatton's on fire and he's got that momentum going and he's pushing forward, he's got that desire, you know, you have to be on your game. And Mayweather did have to be, you know, because Mayweather is a defensive boxer that likes to control things at his own pace. Hatton wasn't allowing him to do that. But like I say, Ricky was fighting two people that night and, you know, things didn't go his way. And I think that we would have seen a different contest. I'm not saying that Ricky would have beat Mayweather because I don't think he would have, but I think we would have seen a different contest had Joe Cortez um, not been the referee that night. Well, look, um, I sat down with Ricky for DAZN for a series called Playback a little while ago and we watched the whole fight back together and we sit there and we watch it back round by round and the right. walk-ins and everything and Ricky must have mentioned Joe Cortez about every minute for about there an hour. There Joe Cortez there and Joe Cortez there and yeah. I mean I'm not, I don't do a great Mancunian accident you know but um, Oh was that Mancunian? Sorry yeah, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't well, realise I was trying wasn't I? I didn't know what you were trying there. That was my that was my Hatton accent you know <laughs> that's that's it but but the, the, the thing was what you've got to remember is, when you, if you're listening to this, that this was for Mayweather's WBC and the Ring Welterweight titles. Um, the And Ricky Hatton was the Ring Light Welterweight champion. Yes. This was a massive fight globally. It was the biggest fight of its time in, in many ways. Klitschko was the slumbering heavyweight champion. You know, people weren't interested particularly in the heavyweight division. Vitaly Klitschko and Lennox Lewis had come and gone. Manny Pacquiao was the other big star mm -hmm. in the sport. And there weren't, an, you know, I mean, yes, we had Joe Calzaghe around at the time, but that was at light heavyweight, super middleweight. Um, and this was so big that Joe Calzaghe was actually over there for this. And in the media room in fight week, of course, the Joe Calzaghe-Bernard Hopkins fight was made. When they came together in the media room, and a few of us were around them, and Bernard Hopkins said, I'll never lose to a white boy. Do yes, you remember that? I do remember that, And the that, fight yeah. was made in that moment. And, you know, you've been in mm. Studio A and B, and our producer Ed's been there and working with us in mm. that studio where we take a table and we do Radio Row all week with, with all the other broadcasters from around the world. And the weird thing is, because Joe was out there... And the Bernard Hopkins fight was made. Joe had um, already beaten uh, Michael Kessler that year, if you remember. In a yeah. massive fight. Huge fight. Yeah, Cardiff. Really big fight. I was there, actually. Well, of course, Joe and Ricky were part of the BBC Sports Personality of the Year awards. And I can recall, even when Ricky Hatton was knocked out in the 10th round, he came back the next day or later on 
and we did a recording in the MGM Grand with Joe Calzaghi and Ricky Hatton the next day because I think they finished first and third mm. that year yeah. in the awards. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Enzo uh, Calzaghi won Coach of the Year yeah. as well. Crazy. It was a great year yeah. for boxing, massive year, and it was just weird to be in the in the cavernous MGM the next day with a group of media and those guys with the, with the cameras live on them. It was a very very memorable trip that, and you know we've been back to Vegas many times since then, mm. haven't we? And they never, ever, ever forget Ricky Hatton and his fans. No, absolutely. They? Listen, Hatton brought something different to the table. You go to Vegas fights and you see the big American fights over there. We've been over there and we've commentated on fights when you've got two Americans fighting over there and the atmosphere is just not the same as when you get one of the Brits. When one of the Brits are fighting over there, you know, you get a different atmosphere. It's more electric. But Ricky Hatton was off the scale atmosphere. He took it to a whole new level. You know, forget if Joe Calzaghe was boxing over there and he was boxing, you know, Bernard Hopkins or whatever you get in, in the States you weren't getting the same atmosphere. Hatton brought something special and I don't know if we'll ever see that again with a British fighter travelling abroad 25,000 fans. No, we, that, that is huge. It is extraordinary. I know we will, get, extraordinary. We, we will get it and I've got a promise from Mark, um, is it Mark Davis? Mark Jones? The, 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 uh, Mark Davis or Mark Jones the, uh, the owner of the um, uh, Las Vegas uh, Raiders uh, that we will get uh, a big fight with Tyson Fury in the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, that big, sleek, black city that's arrived, that's a stadium, just across the road from the T-Mobile Arena and from the MGM Grand. Uh, Mark Davis it is, of course, I won't correct myself there. Um, a great man he is, and we spoke mm. to him on the broadcast at Wilder Fury 3 for TalkSport. We are going to beat the record. I got Go him on. on the night. We're going to beat the record. We're going to get 30,000 fans over Go on. when Tyson Fury fights in one of his major fights. Maybe not uh, Wilder 4, but a big, big fight if he fights, say, an Anthony Joshua or a Usyk in America, at some point we're going to get 30,000 fans Zephyr Tyson. And I think he's becoming big enough to be able to do that. Oh. Anyway, we, you know, look, it's a record. It's mm. extraordinary. You don't think it will be beaten, no? Listen, I, I, I just find... I, I... I find it very hard to believe that it will be beaten. I mean, look, let, let, let me just say Tyson Fury versus, say, Alexander Usyk for the undisputed over there. Would he take 30,000 fans? I'm not sure. Listen, I know he's hugely popular and the Americans love him as well, but wow, man, beating 25,000 would take some doing. Well, you've been listening to the Fight Night podcast. Uh, on TalkSport. I'm Gareth Davis. My thanks this week to all our guests and for Spencer Oliver for joining me. We'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along, and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, 
Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 